Okay, well, welcome everyone and thank you for coming. Um, I'd like to welcome our speaker today, Pulam. Uh, she is a final year PhD student at the uh, Conservation of Wall Painting Department at the Korsold Institute of Art. Her background is both in Buddhist studies, which she studied at the University of Hong Kong, and in conservation, which she studied at the Korsold. She also has practical experience as a wall painting conservator in both Bhutan and India. Her PhD project, which we will be discussing today, explores the 17th century monastery of Tango in Bhutan and illustrates the wall painting technology, the development of wall painting technology in Bhutan. So um, welcome Lan and um, yeah, please start sharing the screen. Uh, so uh, what I'm going to share with you today is about my research on Tango and those paintings inside the central tower uh, in we call it Ute, uh, a Dongka term. I started my research on Tango's wall painting from my MA dissertation, and it was attached to uh, our wall painting conservation project at Kotot, from who was Kotot. The, in, the initial goal of the research was to reconstruct the making history of those artworks to establish their significance and then use the fundings to help the conservation work. Um, so the technical analysis, uh, we will be able to study, uh, uh, yeah, through the technical analysis, we will be able to study the painting from a making perspective by understanding what material was used and how the painting was made, we'll be able to recognize the technical changes and continuity then uh, hopefully to reconstruct a timeline for their making history. I will start with a brief introduction of the monastery. So Tango is located, well, can you see my mouse? Yes, great. So Tango Monastery is located in the north of Tingpu Valley. It takes about 40 minutes drive and 40 minutes hike to reach the main temple. This is a depiction of Tango landscape um, from one of the painted rooms in Tango we will see today. And it dated to early 20th century. Um, the view from the landscape uh, from the painting here is quite similar to what we can see today. This is the main temple. Here is the Wuche. And here has a small stupa. This actually represents a rock, which believed to be the emanation of deity Hayagriva. So I will spend a little time here to talk about the early history of Tango. All the illustrations I'm using today for the presentation are schemes, uh, paintings from Tango's uh, wall painting schemes, uh, all from Tango's wall painting schemes. Um, they might be from the different period, but as you can see, as we go, all the paintings are, or well, all the figures are painted inside the Wuzhen. So the earliest 
history of tango traced back to the 13th century when the Tibetan Lama called Bajo Jugun Shibo, who traveled from Tibet to Bhutan, he often credited as the person who spread Jubagagyu to Bhutan. The story was about him funding tango was uh, he was meditating in a cave one day, then he heard the sound of Hayagreva, the sound of a horse. So he thought that was the insight that Hayagreva gave him. So he decided to build a temple as an offering for Hayagreva there. From his, uh, uh, from the literatures that we have, there was no clear description of Tango's size at his period, but from his biography, we can see that he seems established a headquarter for his secular affairs at Tango and later passed the um, headquarter to his son, Dampa. And Dampa was the person who built a monastery at Tango, and later on the temple was inherited within their family line. Dampa passed the Tango to his son, Kunzang Dojie, and, but later Kunzang Dojie moved to uh, Dachenpu and left the Tango semi-abandoned since then. Until the early 16th century, uh, until, yeah, until early 16th century, another Tibetan Lama, uh, the famous Mats Saint, Juba Kunle, who visited Tango, the site of Tango. Mm, those of you who are familiar with Bhutan probably will know him. He was one of the most important figure who has been influential to Bhutanese culture. Many of his legend has uh, still embedded in Bhutan's culture now. He visited in Bhutan in early 16th century, 1705. He didn't stay, but his descendant remained at Tango. His son, Awan Tamzin, re-established the tango in 1570 and uh, established his own monastic community there. And later, uh, since then, the ownership of tango shifted from Bajo Jugoshibo's family to Juba Quinle's family lineage, but both of them are related to the um, Jubakagyu uh, the Ralom, uh, yeah, Jubagagyu lineage, the Ralom Hayak lineage in Tibet. So from uh, Jubakuna's son, Awatanzen, he also passed the Sid Tango to his son. Awatanzen, uh, uh, son, and it was Awatanzen who offered Tango to Shabjong Awanamgir when he first arrived in Bhutan. Shabjong Awanamgir was the person, the, the founder of the kingdom of Bhutan. He arrived in 
Bhutan in early 70 and took Tango as his residency since until the formation of the state. But because of the, uh, the disability of his own son, he passed, he appointed Tewon Tenzin's son as his official successor, both in religion uh, uh, and the political perspective um, view. Then it was his uh, successor, Tenzin Rabke, who became later became the fourth desi of uh, the kingdom of Bhutan. It was under him during his region that he cons uh, commissioned the construction of Tango Utse, the building we can see uh, now. And after he passed away, the Sid continued passed in his family to his daughter, but who passed away, who was the last person in their family lineage. After that, the ownership shifted to Tenzin Rabge's reincarnation until now. This is a view of Tango. This is the central tower, the Wutse, built it under Tenzin Rabge in 1688. And this photo taken from, if you remember the first landscape depictions of Tango, this picture taken from the Hyagriva rock. So the Wutse is a building with three floors and we will see in detail later. Um, luckily in Tenzin Rabge's biography, the construction work in 1688 was carefully recorded and documented information including like working period and four painted rooms with sculptures and their artists also provides an iconography list uh, for those paintings in that was done during that period. Uh, it was clear that the Wutse we can see today was a result of continuing development over 300 years. However, the Record had uh, the um, building history record after the 17th century became fragmentary. As you can see from the timeline, there have been several renovations happened in the past, but most of the renovation records did not provide any detail. Uh, as you can see, there is a big gap during between uh, from the 18th century to the 19th century, the, the, from the actually the mid 20th century, this period left unknown. Uh, these are floor plans of the Wutse. There are 25, um, start from the left, the ground floor, first floor and second floor. All the rooms are named with number is the floor and the letter is the direction. So 
There are 24 rooms in total. 16 of them are painted with paintings, are decorated with paintings. Those wall paintings, including uh, wall paintings on earth and plaster and uh, wall paintings on wooden panel. Also, Mara flag is a type of wall paintings that you stick painted canvas to the wall. Uh, if we take the top floor as an example, you can see the intensity of the painting. Uh, other two floors are the same. They're almost paintings everywhere. Um, I think Tango is a unique demonstration to show the development of, of Bhutanese wall paintings from the period when the kingdom just funded until now. Uh, as mentioned earlier, there were four rooms um, documented in Tenzin Rabge's biography. They're painted during the 1688, at the beginning when the building was just constructed. Um, three of them are located on the north side of the building on each floor. The idea of those north shrines was to create the three realm based on the trichia uh, concept Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, the paintings in the North Shrine ground floor was um, covered by concrete wall, which uh, and later the concrete wall itself was covered by modern canvas painting Mara flag in 1988. Those, but from Tendon Rabge's biography, we knew the iconography painted in this room. We knew that this room in the ground floor, it was a depiction of the Dimanakaya of Pama Sambawa, then the Sambhogakaya of Alukiteshvara, also hierography as one of emanation of Avalokiteshvara also depicted in the Sambhogakaya shrine. Then the top floor was a depiction of the Dhammakaya realm, which also mixed with um, the paradise of Amitabha. So when the audience who came, or visitors who come to Tango building by walking up from the ground floor to the top floor, you actually enter uh, the paradise where the, the Dhammakaya step by step. And the other room, the fourth room located on the second floor 
uh, west site, which is which was the private bedchamber of Tendon Rapke himself. The entire room was fully depicted with Jubakagi's lineage. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't have a complete documentation can show you here. So <clears throat> the aim of part of the aim of my research was to reconstruct the timeline of the building and its artworks history and using the result from scientific analysis to supplement and fill in the gap as we can see from the previous um, timeline. Here, from literature sources, we knew that four rooms are dated to the 17th century. And through iconography identification, we identified what I identified one room dated to 1891 to 94. Um, following another room, which uh, in sequence after this room. And those two rooms are dated by oral interviews with local people. And we know apart from the, the resources available like literature resources, document uh, photograph doc uh, datas, and iconography datas. There are still rooms left unknown. So what I'm going to talk about is how to use technical analysis, a result from technical analysis to supplement and to place them into the timeline. Uh, Koto's involvement at Tango started in 2014. The initial aim was to preserve those 17th century paintings. By the time when we first arrived there, a renovation project has already started. Uh, it was an agreement between the monastic body and the government. This was what we see when we first arrived. All the wall paintings on earthen plaster are covered with lens tissue and all the wooden panel paintings are removed from the wall. And all the mara flags are detached from the wall. So this was a the condition for most of the rooms that when we first arrived at Bhutan, uh, at Tango, and there we only got full access to two uh, 17th century rooms. This two room where were the locations uh, that the wall painting conservation projects has uh, happened. Um, 
I started my PhD in 2016 and expanded my the research scope to other painted rooms apart from the 17th century, the, the two rooms that are related to the conservation project. And expanded the scope to other paintings from the later period but because of the condition in the Uten, it was impossible to get full iconographic uh, survey on the painting or uh, and also the technical study were limited by the accessibility as well sampling for scientific analysis was limited to those painting edges were exposed outside of the facing and therefore it was impossible to collect a complete data for um, the color palette in each room and also it was impossible to carry out uh, non-invasive analysis such as multispectral imaging or we can't even collect a complete uh, photograph data for the iconography, even we knew some of the figures had inscription written underneath, but we can't really see. Um, I would give you a quick introduction on the uh, samples we will see today. So the scene we will see today is samples taken from the painting and made into a cross section. From the bottom is the plaster layer and goes the rate from bottom to up. This is the painting layer where we actually see visually from the wall and bottom is the plaster layer and underneath is the support, the structure. So um, normally painting follow a sequence from primary support, secondary support, by secondary support we mean the plaster. It can be earth or something uh, or other materials then goes sealant, uh, ground, under drawings where sometimes color notations, then paint layers to all the uh, gilding glazes where compositional outline, they're applied on top of the paint layer and the sequence of them are, can be various, depend on the different technique. Sealant layer, it appears invisible under the ambient light, but it's fluorescence under the UV, which is uh, organic binder applied over the plaster layer to multiply the porosity. And it doesn't happen to all the paintings. It's um, optional. Ground layer. Also, it can be selectively applied in different places based, uh, depend on the painting technique. It basically a layer to modify the optical uh, properties and also the uh, 
process to prepare the surface for painting. As we said earlier, it was impossible to collect a complete data for the color palette. Also, it was questionable to only focus on material identification because of time, money, and ethical considerations. It was useful to identify the materials, but more importantly, also it was the strategy for my research is to understand how the material was used and their application method. Here is this example. I will show you what I meant about um, application method. All those samples are azurite. They're the same materials, but as you can see, they were used in different way. Um, like this one, say, um, same azurite, but grand used with different grading size and applied one over another. And these two, you mix the azurite with different, another type of materials to create a new color. And if you see those three, they're azurite grounded in different particle size, which reach, uh, provide or created um, different final appearance in terms of their color. Here are cross sections from each room, so organized floor by floor. You can see they followed, and well, they relatively followed the painting sequence, plastered sealant, applied to the plaster, then following the ground layer, then the paint layer, but there are varieties within them. Can see the major difference happens to the ground layer. Some of them has only one layer, but some of them has two. And um, as for the color yellow, it was common in Bhutan. Uh, based on the samples we were, yeah, the samples that we collected in Bhutan, but it was not common elsewhere, like Ladakh or Tibet, where we more often see white ground layer. Uh, I will go into detail now. So if we look at the, as we talked to the single yellow ground layer, so we noticed the two rooms, they appears to have similar technique. Um, upon that, physical evidence from the structure also suggested the similar iconography. Then we realize these two rooms are, so they located both on the north side of their room. And half of the figures incomplete, well, half of the figure are hidden by this wall, which suggested this wall was a later addition. The dividing wall was added later to divide 
the whole space. This room, so this room and this room, they used to be the single one. Iconography also continues from here all the way to here. So if we reorganize the samples by yellow ground, then we realize they can be divided into two single yellow ground layer and doubled ground layers. You can so now we can see a rough sequence of their making process of their making history. Um, double ground layer, it means those rooms are first painted in yellow, in pale yellow, and later redecorated with victory, uh, figurative paintings. Here is a sample from 2CW room and showed you how those paintings would look like as the early, at their early period. And for this one, a zero NE was the black chamber for protective deities. It actually, from the visual observation, we noticed that this room also carried two ground layers, but oh, which are not visible under the in the cross section but we knew then this painting the paintings in this room are added later similar structural um evidence will direct uh, will direct the dating to similar period like this two room they both um both pictures are taken from the north east side of the room then we can see after the panel painting removed the wall the dividing when this structural wall are on top of the painting so we knew that this painting are painted before the wall was installed. But however, by comparing the samples, we notice that room 1S has two ground layer, one yellow and one white, but 2S only have one yellow, which suggested, were almost confirmed that they were not from the same period, even they carried the similar structural history. So we'll further we an I analysis to one as the room was two layers, one yellow, one white, compared with another room, which also has two ground layer, yellow and white. By analysis, the 
white layer, we noticed that, that the materials used in the white ground was different, which means even they use the same painting technique on the ground layer, but those two paintings are from different period, at least from by different workshop. And further comparison where analysis happened in this two room, then we identified some materials, um, barium containing white, zinc white, and ultramarine. All the most uh, all the materials are synthetic development in uh, by the Westerners in early 19th century, which means all those paintings are done after that. We don't know exactly the material time, but the earliest date of these two rooms can be posted to late 19th century. Also speaking of similar structural evidence, 2E and 1E, they showed similar um, painting, uh, similar, uh, similar features in terms of their painting. So they're they used to be canvas strips attached to the wall to prepare the surface for painting. As we can see in both rooms, that the painting scheme continues from the earthen plaster to the canvas. So we knew that the canvas was the painting was done on site after the application of the canvas strip. Um, up. Meanwhile, through iconography identification, we noticed that from 2E, this figure, well, luckily, this was the only pictures we have where we can see a clear inscription here of this person. It was identified as King Le Gertol, the fourth reincarnation of Tenzin Rabge. He uh, was uh, appointed as the Jekambu in 1891 to 1894. Therefore, uh, and we also found the uh, a literature reference refers this room as King Legato's bedroom. Therefore, we will be able to date this room to 1981 to 94. And interestingly, as we mentioned before, the Entire tango carried a Jubakagi history under the lineage since the beginning. But uniquely, this figure here is wearing a Nima tradition hat, different from all the other figures. Similar figure wearing the Nima hat also appeared in a canvas from 1E which original are located here, but detached. So it, it is reasonable to assume that this was a depiction of 
example, and where the figure was placed, he was so he, he's move. He moved from as a student to the central figure, which indicated that one e must be later than two e. So we find out the order of those two rooms. And this is an example that we can see from the sample. Well, let's say in color, all the pink, they look like the same similar color appearance, but the making of those materials are quite different. Some of them are mixed, most of them are used organic colorants, but also appears to have materials with only made with only mineral pigment. Mineral pigments made pink, we only noticed in room 2S and 2E, which suggested those two painted uh, those two rooms shared it's really to be coeval, but there must be some link between the workshop where the painting transmissions during the within the artist. Um, 1E and 2E. So if we look at tomorrow flag, all the canvas paintings in sequence. We notice 2E, 1E, they, the, the way how they use the canvas is just a small piece of canvas stick to the wall to prepare the surface, but still as part of, form part of the uh, paintings on the plaster. Then it changed to a room that fully covered with canvas which is 1W. Then the technique of Maraflug became more and more popular and one of the technique we will see now mostly done in the modern period as we knew that 2C and 1C were from the 1997 so we can ensure the sequence of their making history is like that. I will take gilding as one of the examples to show you how the technique was developed over the period. So gilding is, um, well, gild a gilding technique here refers to the employment of metal materials, not only limited to gold, but also gold, silver um, mixtures, and it applies to the technique. So gilding are lavishly used almost everywhere for jewelry, ornament, decoration, Buddha skins, depiction, and um, fabric. Um, decoration, also inscriptions, landscape, and even gilding, 
of even in glaze, this semi-translucent parent layer also made with gold. There were four types of gilding um, cataloged in my thesis based on their final appearance where the effect raised gilding, decorative gilding, flat gilding, and burnished gilding. I will take raised gilding as the example to show you the development. So raised gilding, this is the the making method of raised gilding. So after you applied the ground and marked out the underdrawing where you will have uh, where you will make the raised gilding, then you extrude the same materials with the yellow ground, the same material with the yellow ground, but in their thicker paste to create a bulking pattern. On top of that, you apply another layer with the same material to smooth out the shape. Then you apply a mordant layer, to, which is an adhesive layer to attach, in order to attach the gold. As we can see in sequence, these are examples from the 17th century scheme. And then the same application sequence used in 2S, which suggested that 2S shared similar painting technique with the, those 17th century paintings. And then we can see from the sample that for the modern layer, it shifted from a pure bind media layer binder meat with pure organic binder to a layer that mixed with rich binder but mixed with pigments. Also the foil or not the foil but the metal itself changed from gold, pure gold to pure silver uh, to pure silver. And then also happened in the modern layer. The modern changed to a layer that contains major pigment with still mixed with binder, but you see the the the, the, the making of the modern changed from the 17th century to the 20th century as we dated that 1E to the early 20th century. And the use of different metal foil is not necessarily related to the changes of the technique, sometimes also influenced by the money issue. So, but as we see what was more influential in terms of the gilding technique was the type, uh, not the type, but the form of the metal, whether it's a foil or it's powder, which will directly um, influence on, the on their application we're making process. 
here uh, from SEM uh, on unmounted sample, gilding sample, we can clearly see the folders of those gilding, which if you used uh, foil, which means you will need a modern layer. But however, if you use powder, you can mix uh, the powder with binding media directly then the absence from uh, the absence of modern layer will directly indicate the use of powder therefore in this sample from 0NE even it's not raised gilding but as we see the modern layer also the shape of the foil it's clear that 0NE used gold foil rather than gold powder to paint flat painting. Therefore, we can fix 0CE to the timeline since uh, it shared similar gilding technique with 2W and 2S. So as a result, we can place those paintings with unknown, with no literature record or other references to into the timeline. The similarities shared between two, uh, paintings from 17th century and 2S suggested this painting must be not too far away from the 17th century. And also based on the gilding technique, we can place zero and need to a sequence that's not far from 17th century and 2S. And then for 1S and 0W are those paintings with double ground layer, one yellow, one white. A similar samples from Jaka Zong in Boomtown, central Bhutan, also used a similar technique of a white yellow ground that site dated to early 20th century, which also uh, fit to our dating of these two rooms. Or these two rooms are dated based on the synthetic materials that we identified from the painting. And for the canvas paintings, the, the, the Mara flag, as we discussed before, they were made in a sequence from 2E with only canvas strips to entire painted canvas paint room and to the modern canvas painting room. So therefore, we'll be able to construct um, timeline a list with rough period for each room. I yes, that's it. So, yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, that was very rich, and I'm sure there are a lot of um, lots of questions.